here and Amin is here and so we're thrilled to have KB here but there's a reason behind you being here like there's a purpose behind it and Lauren's going to share a little bit like out of the gate here just for the next few minutes like stand for life what does that look like what is it and why are you here yeah, thank you guys so much for having us. Uh, Stand for Life is just honored to be here. So excited that we got to have KB here with us. Stand for Life is an organization that brings together pro-life leaders, pro-life organizations, church leaders to be collaborative in how we engage on the pro-life issue. So Stand for Life is seeking to equip and engage the church so that we can mobilize and be the hands and feet of Jesus in an organic, authentic way, showing the gospel of the, and the good news to those who are vulnerable and those who need help. And so Stand for Life wants to be very holistic in how we approach the pro-life issue. We care about women and the challenges that they are facing in an unplanned pregnancy. We care about the life in her womb and we care about the family that is around her. So we really want to see uh, the image of God, this concept, this theological concept that we are rooted in, understanding that in Genesis 1, God created man and woman in his image. And so as we look and understand that concept, that means so many things. It means a lot of beautiful things for us, but it certainly means that every person has the inherent dignity and value simply because they are a human and they are created in God's image. And so as we see all people as image bearers of God, we want to um, care for them as an image bearer and do that well. And so we wanna be helping our churches to be theologically rooted in an understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God, and then seeing our churches engage and care well for the vulnerable um, and, and, and lift up the dignity of all human life, woman, child, family, all around in a holistic way. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Man. That's great. And I think it's pretty cool that, that KB is actually like doing some events with Stand for Life. So you're bringing your talent, you're bringing your, your, your audience to this message and to this voice, which I know is dear and near to your heart because of a book that you just wrote last year, Dangerous Jesus. And in that book, you talked about being made in the image of God, being image bearers. Tell us a little bit about what drove you to write that book. Amen. Amen. Uh, just real quick, I want to say, God bless y'all. This was amazing. I really enjoyed it. This was my last concert of the year, and I'm honored to get to do it with you. I also want to say thank you for having us. Shout out to Dr. Lauren. Isn't she amazing? A wonderful sister. And then, of course, I mean the dream, Hudson. For those who don't know, we have a podcast called Southside Rabbi. That's, what, that's my best friend in the world. I met him when I was 16 years old. We've been walking with Jesus ever since, and I'm honored to be on stage with you, brother. Okay, sorry. Amen. Um, I wrote a book called Dangerous Jesus, and the book is really an offering um, to kind of challenge the ways in which Jesus is misrepresented. Um, when you think about the word dangerous, dangerous can, in the, in the form of like sports, if you think about a dangerous athlete or uh, uh, someone who is a threat on the field or the court, you would see them as a problem for the enemy. And in a lot of ways, 
Jesus is the greatest threat to anything that would threaten us. He is dangerous in that he puts to death injustice. He puts to death our sin, our unforgiveness, our bitterness. He is the most dangerous man that ever lived because he is a threat to all opposition. However, when you take that same Jesus and you turn him into like a mascot for your agenda, the things that you want to see, for your tribe or your sort of priorities, then that Jesus actually becomes a different kind of dangerous, not for good, but for bad. And one of the things that I point out in the book that is so important for us to understand is that when our understanding of the image of God goes awry, when people are not seen as having inherent value because of who they're made by, I have a fashion line and I don't get to sell my clothes for $3,000. But Gucci can make the same shirt that I have and write Gucci on it and it's a $3,000 shirt. What's the difference? It's whose name is on the material. And what I'm saying is that every human being has the name of God printed on them. If you look at the tag, it says made of heaven, which means that there is value that cannot be infringed upon and we are to protect it with all our might. Amen, amen. With that in mind, KB, obviously in the book, you talk a lot about the issue of abortion and pro-life issues and talking about that image bearer, that, that uh, issue of, uh, of being an image, made in the image of God. Talk a little bit about like what, why is this issue so important to you? Why are you out traveling, doing things with Stand for Life, speaking, bringing your voice to this conversation? Why is that so important to you? It's important to me because I think at the, the bottom of many of the issues that we are engaging in the culture, is this understanding of what life is. We are designed to be life people. When we go around, Jesus says that we're to be salt and light. Salt preserves light. If in the ancient Near East and Bible times, if you didn't have salt, your whole family could starve to death because you couldn't preserve your food. And when Christians don't become the salt of the world, we're like the lemon of the world where we want to be acidic. We don't want to help preserve and fight for wherever life is infringed upon, whether that is unborn life, whether that is minority life, immigrant life, orphan life, wherever life is to be defended, God says that he has established a people that have something to say to that. And that is a thread that runs through my book. That's one issue that we deal with in there, but it extends. And when we become life people, our message is way stronger because I believe you. When you come to me and talk about your care for the unborn, and I see you also caring for those who are born, but are outside of power or are born, but are oftentimes looked over or mistreated. When I see that, you adorn the authenticity of your message. Because if we are life people, because our God sustains all life, then you will see it in all the arenas that we are engaging from the womb to the tomb, everything in between. Amen. I mean, you've got your Bible open, which means you're probably ready to preach a oh. little bit over here. Well, he'll so. preach now. Don't get yeah. me started now. <laughs> so let's talk about with this idea. I know your message, the voice that you guys bring to the table so often in so many places, this issue of how to live a life you know, fixed on walking with God, a holistic perspective of life. Talk a little bit about why that's so important and how do you, how, how do all of us make sure that we're engaging in that type of life that God calls us to live? Yeah, um, one of the reasons that I think that that's important is because as we said, all human life is made in the image of God, right? And so we know and we understand that concept when it comes to the unborn. That's why we are so passionate 
about making sure to preserve the life of the unborn. We understand that the image of God is on them, but the image of God does not begin and only end with the unborn. The image of God is also on those who are outside of the womb as well, right? And so we talk about the difference between being anti-abortion and being pro-life, right? And pro-life is a holistic perspective, right? So none of us would say that uh, being abortion, being, being against abortion is not a justice issue. It's a justice issue. Those who are being killed in the womb, that is an injustice, right? But there's also a whole myriad of other injustices that happen to those outside of the womb as well. So we cannot be holistically pro-life if we only let our pro-life stance begin and end with the unborn. So we have to think about, right, how these, how people are affected outside of the womb. They're the oppressed, they're the marginalized. We can't say that we are holistic, holistically pro-life if we don't care about how people are oppressed and marginalized on the outside of the womb. There are justice issues like there's food deserts in certain neighborhoods where their only access to quality food that people have is food that's not quality, right? And that doesn't lead to a holistic life. There is, we can't say that we're pro-life if we don't care about people having uh, access to affordable health care, which really does uh, determine whether or not somebody can live or die. We also cannot say that we are, are pro-life if we are trying to stop mothers from having abortions, but we don't care about the conditions that put them in that position to think that abortion is a viable option in the first place. There are things that are happening outside of people's lives. There are institutions, there is there's institution, uh, institutional oppression, systematic oppression and forces outside of folks' control that cause them to be in certain situations. So for us to be holistically pro-life, we want the world to see that we don't just and only care about the unborn, we do but we actually extend that care outside of them as well. And in that way, we are testifying to the world that we do follow a Lord who is the way, the truth, and the life because we stand for life in every aspect, in every area, and in every condition. So that's what holistic pro-life is for us. So Lauren, with the Stand for Life movement, like what he just shared, what he just vocalized, verbalized to all of us, how do we, the church, like this is the body of Christ gathered in this room, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different countries, how do we all get engaged in that? What do we do to bring that to the forefront of the way we live? Yeah, I think that first and foremost, if we're going to be a people, if our churches are going to be churches that stand for life, we have to be rooted in what the Bible teaches about life and about human dignity and about caring for the vulnerable, because the Bible has a lot to say about that. And you look at Jesus and how he was continuing to reach out to the marginalized, to the people that were seen as not worthy of spending time with. You see Jesus go and reach out to the woman at the well who would have been an outcast. You see him reaching out and, and eating inside tax collector Zacchaeus' house. These people that would have been seen as, oh, don't spend time with them. 
Jesus was going to them. Yes, speaking truth, speaking the hope of the good news, but also showing love, showing compassion, and, and meeting them where they were. And so we have to be rooted in being scripturally informed so that we can be an example like Christ, show Christ's love and compassion and truth. And then I think we also, I think we need to figure out how we can have in our own lives proximity to those in need. I think proximity changes how we engage on these issues in a unique way that I can certainly see in my own life. So I'm an adoptive parent. I, in, in our um, adoption process, we wanted to have open adoptions and have a relationship with the birth mothers of children that we had placements in our home. And getting to walk life in life with birth moms who are facing an unplanned pregnancy, who don't feel like they can parent and are making an adoption plan, and seeing the very real challenges, the, the circumstances surrounding that unplanned pregnancy, and, and just the real vulnerability there, and the courage that they had to choose life changed me in a way that if I had kept that at a distance, wouldn't have been able to seep in. Those truths that I had said for years, I believed and I stood for, whenever I got into proximity with those that, that not only for because I wanted to, to care for the vulnerable, but really I learned. There was a mutuality there. Yes, we can serve, but then we also have so much to learn from those who are making brave choices, being courageous in the midst of challenging circumstances. So I, I encourage proximity. Step in, get out, and reach out to figure out how can you be in the lives of those who might need help, and how can you learn from them how to live out these truths that we see in Scripture. So obviously today, this issue of pro-life abortion is a very polarizing issue. You know, when you talk about pro-life, whether it's in the tomb or whether it's, you know, the womb or whatever it might be, like it is a, it's, it's a polarizing issue. It's a political issue. It's being taken by the right and the left and everything in between. But it sounds like everything we've talked about today is an issue that really kind of is, is flowing from the idea of love, the love that comes from 1 Corinthians 13, the love of Christ. So how do we change the narrative? How do we redefine that message so that it's not a political issue? This is a, a human perspective, a human issue that comes directly from our creator. Great question. Um, I'd say, number one, we want to be people of the scripture, okay? I want my mind and my actions and my family and my friends to be shaped by what God is saying way over everybody else, particularly what folks are saying on the news, what folks might be saying at coffee shops, shops, the street, TikTok. I want the king's words to shape me. And when I think about the king's priority, a text come to mind, comes to mind in Revelation where you have the church of Ephesus who Jesus has a problem with. You got this church that is being commended by Jesus for standing up for truth. They speak the truth and they come against people who were saying things wrong. They'd have no problem calling you out on Twitter or during convocation. They are folks that stand against what they perceive to be wrong. And Jesus says, good for you. I like when you hold fast to your doctrine and your orthodoxy. Jesus mentions there's this group, this sect within the Ephesus community, the Ephesian community that is actually teaching things that are, that run counter to what God would have people do with their sexual ethics. Then God recognizes, Jesus recognizes the church of Ephesus for saying, no, 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 that's not okay here. But he says, that's not enough. 
Though you stand against people who are saying the wrong things and may be doing the wrong things, I am not satisfied because you talk good. I am pleased when you live good. He says to the church in Ephesus that I hold this against you. You have abandoned your first love. And brothers and sisters, this is what we're trying to do. Our greatest weapon goes way beyond what happens at the ballot box every four years. Our greatest weapon goes way beyond who we say we put in D.C. Our greatest weapon in the mind of God is our love for him that is demonstrating our love for other people. Because the folks that we are trying to reach, they're at Walmart, they're in your families at Thanksgiving, they are at the, the places that you work at, they're at your school. There are people in this building right now who are hurting and suffering under the shame around this very issue. Where do we show up? Our truth is narrow, but our love must be wide. And when our love is wide, our truth lands as it should. That gives us an opportunity to change the climate of how we talk about life in the world because we are lovers more than we are anything else. So Lauren, with the Stand for Life, the organization, the movement, the idea behind all of this, what are the steps ahead? Like what does tomorrow look like? What does a year from now, five years from now, that you hope to accomplish within the body of Christ so that we can do exactly what KB just talked about. We know this, political arguments are everywhere, but Jesus said, Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say I'll build my Republicans or my Democrats or my state house or my White House. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what does the church do? What does the church do now? Yeah, I think that as, if you can imagine a world, you know, you said five years, 10 years out, imagine a church that is living out this understanding of the image of God in every person. Think about the beauty that the church can bring into a broken and dark world on a number of issues, but certainly around the abortion issue. The va- that valuing life is something that is good and beautiful, and, and we should be the people that are living that as an example in our lives. And so as we think to the future of what can we do, what can we do, those of us in the room, those of us that are the church, the body of Christ, we can live out the gospel because this is not, ju- this is not a political issue. It of course affects politics, but it is a gospel issue. Yes, so how can we live out our gospel hope and how can we bring that to hurting and broken individuals and, and bring light into a very dark issue. And, and I'm so grateful too for the, the truth and the hope of forgiveness because you mentioned this earlier, but in, in a room this size, I'm, I know that there are those touched by abortion and I'm, I wanna say praise God for the work he has done on the cross that all of us are sinners and all of us need the hope of the cross and what Christ did in his death and resurrection to offer forgiveness to us no matter what sins uh, we have committed. So there is hope and healing in the gospel as well. And so for, for those of us that are in the church as well, we can see from research the church is affected by the abortion issue nearly as much as, as the secular world. So we have abortion in our churches. And so we have a people, even amongst us, that need abortion healing, need forgiveness and freedom from uh, shame in that, just as all of us, for whatever sin we have, need healing and forgiveness. And so I'm so grateful for the hope of the gospel. And so as we 
as we, as we accept that in our own lives, we can then live that out well. And I hope that I see a future where we are living that out. And, and, and Stand for Life certainly has resources that we hope. Uh, we have a six-week Bible study that focuses on the Imago Day. And so if you want somewhere to start, you can do our six-week Bible study. You can uh, download it for free, actually, a six-week six week study that really dives into this understanding of the Imago Day to help us give a footing, a foundation for the uh, theological rootedness that we need to be able to live this out well. Amen. Um, I also want to speak to that too. I think um, especially as we're thinking about us living in a broken world, um, I think the question that people are asking, especially those who are suffering with brokenness, oppression, marginalization, they are asking, does God see me and does God care? right? We are the ones who are to answer that question with the way that we are to love others, right? And so we are to be the people of life. As we talked about earlier, we serve a God who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we want to show that to a watching world. And so one of the ways that I think that we can do that is together, and we have to do it together. We can't do that as individuals only. Uh, we have to do it together as a church. And so what I want to tell you all is we would love for you all to make a pledge to stand for life along with us. And there's a way that you all could do that. Uh, there should be, I believe, a QR code that is going to pop up on the screen. You should see them. Um, and please scan that QR code to make a pledge to stand for life. And with that QR code, you will have access to resources. Some of the resources our sister just talked about, that six weeks Bible study that is on the Imago Day. And we may have run out of some merch, uh, but if you visit uh, our table at the top of section 116, there's all kind of other goodies that we have for you. And if you are signing up and making that pledge to stand for life, there is a significant discount that you get on the merch. There's going to be partnership between us at, uh, at Stand for Life and Native Supply uh, to actually be able to get merch and other resources so that you could stand for life. And we have to do that together as a body. We have to do that together as a church. You can also go to standsfl.com slash liberty and find out how you can also stand for life. Uh, Southside Rabbi is a podcast. We are partnering with Stand for Life. You can follow Stand for Life on Instagram at Stand for Life Movement. Uh, and also Southside Rabbi, at Southside Rabbi, and we're going to be doing a podcast later talking to uh, those who stand for life, so make sure you join that. But please make that pledge, because we all want to stand for life, and we want to testify to a watching world that we care about life across the board, right? Because when we do that, there is no argument that they can really give to a people that have proven that we stand for life in every aspect and in every area. As much as they may try to discredit us, we are about pushing a culture of life forward the way that our Lord would have us do such. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, can we thank Amin for being here today with us? And thank Lauren. And thank KB for being here. Thank you guys so much.